In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Perhaps similar to how difficult it would have been for my generation to appreciate what it was like to see The Wizard of Oz go from black and white to color, something so momentous that it needed no explanation at the time, or for the younger generation to appreciate what it was like for us to go into a big screen and see Star Wars when it first came out. Some things are so obviously momentous, so entirely capture your attention, it's difficult to explain to someone what, what that experience was like. Along those lines, we have the difficulty of explaining to young people who Mother Teresa really is. Those of us whose lives overlap with hers enjoy an incredible privilege. And it's difficult for us to explain her to others because we, she needed no explanation. You just look at her. You just listen to her. You know who she is. You know where she's from. You know what she does. If we tell young people she was really good to the poor, um, it, it doesn't begin to capture who she is, what she did. And it's not even that she was famous or won the Nobel Prize. That's not really an accomplishment. Everyone in the world knew that she was absolutely unique. We had already canonized her 20, 30 years ago. Perhaps we can help people understand that not everywhere in the world is there a hospital and an emergency room. Perhaps we can help people to appreciate what triage is like, or at least stereotypically in a mass casualty situation where there are those who are immediately whisked away because they need to be treated right now in order to be saved, and their likelihood of being saved is quite good. There are those who need to go to the hospital for treatment because they can be helped, but it's not as urgent. And there are those who, well, they're just about to die anyway. They won't be rushed to the hospital. Imagine the streets of Calcutta in India where there are people strewn all over the streets who are about to die and people just walk over them. And one day, already having been inspired to enter religious life and already knowing that there was something special that the Lord was calling, she picked up a man who was about to die and brought him in and cleaned him and loved him and stayed with him until he passed away. Mother Teresa is already like St. Augustine and G.K. Chesterton and so many others where she's just as often misquoted as she is accurately quoted. So I thought it'd be best to simply let her speak. The speech that so many of us remember and from 1994, February 3rd at the National Prayer Breakfast, celebrated by us because she had the president, the Clintons, and the Gores on either side, and she just hit them right between the eyes. On further reflection, she's really hitting all of us right between the eyes. Let us thank God for the opportunity he has given us today to have come here to pray together. 
We have come here especially to pray for peace, joy, and love. We are reminded that Jesus came to bring the good news to the poor. He had told us what that good news is when he said, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. He came not to give the peace of the world, which is only that which we don't bother each other. He came to give the peace of heart, which comes from loving, from doing good to others. If you know the speech, you know I'm, I'm just skipping around and giving you part of it. Jesus gave his life to love us, and he tells us that we also have to give whatever it takes to do good to one another. And in the gospel, Jesus says very clearly, love as I have loved you. Jesus died on the cross because that is what it took for him to do good to us, to save us from our selfishness and sin. He gave up everything to do the Father's will, to show us that we too must be willing to give up everything to do God's will, to love one another as he loves each of us. If we are not willing to give whatever it takes to do good to one another, sin is still in us. That is why we too must give to each other until it hurts. It is not enough for us to say, I love God, but I also have to love my neighbor. St. John says that you are a liar if you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor. How can you love God whom you do not see? If you do not love your neighbor whom you see, whom you touch, with whom you live. And so it is very important for us to realize that love, to be true, has to hurt. I must be willing to give whatever it takes not to harm other people, and in fact, to do good to them. This requires that I be willing to give until it hurts. Otherwise, there is no true love in me, and I bring injustice, not peace, to those around me. I can never forget the experience I had in visiting a home where they kept all those old parents of sons and daughters who had just put them into an institution and forgotten them. I saw that in that home, these old people had everything. Good food, comfortable place, television, everything. But everyone was looking toward the door, and I did not see a single one with a smile on the face. I turned to sister, and I asked, why do these people who have every comfort here, why are they all looking toward the door? Why are they not smiling? I am so used to seeing the smiles on our people even the dying ones smile. And sister said, this is the way it is nearly every day. They are expecting, they are hoping that a son or daughter will come to visit them. They are hurt because they are forgotten. And see, this neglect to love brings spiritual poverty. Maybe in our own family we have somebody who is feeling lonely, who is feeling sick, who is feeling worried. Are we there? Are we there to be with them, or do we merely put them in the care of others? Are we willing to give until it hurts in order to be with our families, or do we put our own interests first? These are the questions we must ask ourselves, especially as we begin this year of the family. We must remember that love begins at home, and we must also remember that the future of humanity passes through the family. I was surprised in the West to see so many young boys and girls given to drugs, and I tried to find out why. Why is it that when those in the West have so many things, so many more things than those in the East? And the answer was, because there is no one in the family to receive them. Our children depend on us for everything, their health, their nutrition, their security, their coming to know and love God. 
for all of this, they look to us with trust, hope, and expectation. But often, father and mother are so busy, they have no time for their children. Or perhaps they are not even married or have given up on their marriage. So the children go to the streets and get involved in drugs or other things. We are talking of love of the child, which is where love and peace must begin. These are the things that break peace. But I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion, because it is a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? How do we persuade a woman not to have an abortion? As always, we must persuade her with love, and we remind ourselves that love means being willing to give until it hurts. Jesus gave his life to love us, so the mother who is thinking of abortion should be helped to love, that is, to give until it hurts her plans or her free time, to respect the life of her child. The father of that child, whoever he is, must also give until it hurts. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love, but kills even her own child to solve her problems. And by abortion, the father is told that he does not have to take any responsibility at all for the child he has brought into the world. That father is likely to put other women into the same trouble. So abortion just leads to more abortion. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but to use any violence to get what they want. That is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. Many people are very, very concerned with the children of India, with the children of Africa, where quite a few die of hunger and so on. Many people are also concerned about all the violence in this great country of the United States. These concerns are very good, but often these same people are not concerned with the millions who are being killed by the deliberate decision of their own mothers. And this is what is the greatest destroyer of peace today, abortion, which brings people to such blindness. I will tell you something beautiful. We are fighting abortion by adoption, by the care of the mother and adoption for her baby. We have saved thousands of lives. We have sent word to the clinics, to the hospitals and police stations, please don't destroy the child, we will take the child. So we always have someone tell the mothers in trouble, come, we will take care of you, we will get a home for your child. And we have a tremendous demand from couples who cannot have a child but I never give a child to a couple who have done something not to have a child. Jesus said, anyone who receives a child in my name receives me. By adopting a child, these couples receive Jesus. By, by aborting a child, a couple refuses to receive Jesus. Please don't kill the child. I want the child. Please give me the child. I'm willing to accept any child who would be aborted and to give that child a married couple who will love the child and be loved by the child. From our children's home in Calcutta alone, we have saved over 3,000 children from abortion. These children have brought such love and joy to their adopting parents and have grown up so full of love and joy. I know that couples have to plan their family, and for that, there is natural family planning. The way to plan the family is natural family planning, not contraception. In destroying the power of giving life through contraception, a husband or wife is doing something to self. This turns the attention to self, and so it destroys the gift of love in him or her. In loving, the husband and wife must turn the attention to each other, as happens 
in natural family planning and not to self, as happens in contraception. Once that living love is destroyed by contraception, abortion flows very easily. I also know that there are great problems in the world, that many spouses do not love each other enough to, protect, to practice natural family planning. We cannot solve all the problems in the world, but let us never bring in the worst problem of all, and that is to destroy love. And this is what happens when we tell people to practice contraception and abortion. Poor are very great people. They can teach us so many beautiful things. Once one of them came to thank us for teaching her natural family planning and said, you people who have practiced chastity, you are the best people to teach us natural family planning because it is nothing more than self-control out of love for each other. And what this poor person said is very true. These poor people maybe have nothing to eat. Maybe they have not a home to live in. But they can still be great people when they are spiritually rich. When I pick up a person from the street hungry, I give him a plate of rice, a piece of bread. But a person who is shut out, who feels unwanted, unloved, terrified, the person who has been thrown out of society, that spiritual poverty is much harder to overcome. An abortion, which often flows from contraception, brings a people to be spiritually poor. And that is the worst poverty and the most difficult to overcome. Those who are materially poor can be very wonderful people. One evening we went out and we picked up four people from the street and one of them was in a most terrible condition. I told the sisters, you take care of the other three. I will take care of the one who looks worse. So I did for her all that my love can do. I put her in bed and there was such a beautiful smile on her face. She took hold of my hand as she said one word only, thank you, and she died. I could not help but examine my conscience before her, and I asked, what would I say if I were in her place? And my answer was very simple. I would have tried to draw a little attention to myself. I would have said, I am hungry, I am dying, I am cold, I am in pain, or something. But she gave me much more. She gave me her grateful love and she died with a smile on her face. Then there was a man we picked up from the drain, half eaten by worms, and after we had brought him to the home, he only said, I have lived like an animal in the street, but I'm going to die as an angel, loved and cared for. Then after we had removed the worms from his body, all he said with a big smile was, Sister, I am going home to God and he died. It was so wonderful to see the greatness of that man who could speak like that without blaming anybody, without comparing anything, like an angel. This greatness of people who are spiritually rich even when they are materially poor. We are not social workers. We may be doing social work in the eyes of some, but we must be contemplatives in the heart of the world for we are touching the body of Christ, and we are always in his presence. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.